You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is Romans 12, 9-13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are heavy. And yet we know in the midst of grief and sadness, what we need most is to hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, would you now work through the preaching of your word? We believe, God, that you are sovereign over all things. That brings us comfort and hope in the midst of loss. It also brings us comfort and hope in the midst of a service like this, where we trust that you planned this out to be what we would need this morning. pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. If you were to hit the streets to interview random people in and around the Twin Cities and you had one question to ask them and it was this, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about evangelical churches? If you were to pose that question to random people, what do you think they would say? Of course, we have no control over the answers we would receive and who could ever know all the factors influencing those answers. But it would be fascinating nonetheless to hear what comes to mind when people think about evangelical churches. In considering this scenario over the past few weeks, I began to think about the early church. Existing in the middle of a pagan culture, surrounded by sexual perversion and the constant threat of persecution. What what is it that Christians were known for? Well, those who hated followers of Christ made all sorts of bizarre accusations about them. Aaron mentioned these a few weeks ago. The early church was accused of atheism, of incest, and of cannibalism. They were atheists, of course, because they rejected the Roman gods. They practiced incest because husbands and wives would talk about being part of the same family and would even refer to each other as brother or sister. 
they were cannibals because of their obedience to Jesus' command to partake of his body and blood through communion. While these all reveal a terrible misunderstanding of Christian doctrine and practice, this is not the sort of thing I have in mind this morning. There have always been and there will always be false accusations leveled against obedient Christians, those living under the authority of God's word. In this opening scenario, I've proposed to you, I'm thinking more about those people who don't have an ax to grind against the Christian community, those who are more open-minded and level-headed, those who would seek to give honest feedback. What would these people say when we ask them? What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about evangelical churches? Well, my prayer is that they would answer with some version of what Tertullian said about the church when he was contrasting the early Christian community with the surrounding culture. Tertullian was a Roman theologian, and he was writing this in the second century as the gospel was flourishing in spite of profound paganism and great suspicion. Here is what he wrote about followers of Christ and what unbelievers were saying about them. Quote, It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. End quote. It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. Isn't that wonderful? Christians known for their love Churches marked by love for one another. I I want to pause to commend you as a church family for your love. I have no doubt that if someone were familiar with this body of believers and they were asked that question, I have no doubt that some would say, they're a very loving church. As we embark on another ministry year together as a church, I want to put before you a clear challenge. It's nothing fancy. We didn't hire a consultant to help us come up with this. It's a pretty simple vision plucked from the pages of God's word. Here it is. Redeemer, love one another. Love one another. By God's sufficient grace and the animating power of the Holy Spirit, let's live as a church in such a way that bystanders and onlookers and every single visitor that walks into these doors, may all of them have a similar response 
May they put a brand upon us. See, they will say how they love one another. Now, I understand that perhaps more than any other time in history, the word love is misused and redefined so that it bears no resemblance to what it truly means. This is why we must stay tethered to the word of God, constantly submitting ourselves to its perfect authority and its unfailing clarity. Love can only be accurately defined by the one who created all things and is himself love. So brothers and sisters, again, as we have gathered on this first Sunday of a new ministry year, and we look around us and we see so much evidence of God's sovereign and gracious work in our church, as we consider all the opportunities to learn and grow in our knowledge of sound doctrine, may we never look past or beyond God's desire for this faith family to be marked by love for one another. You have heard it said now hundreds of times as our Brother Ray Orland has given us these categories. We want to prioritize both gospel doctrine and gospel culture. We want to go deep in our study of God's word, but we also want to go deep in our relationships with each other. We want to gather each Sunday to passionately lift our voices to declare the glories of Christ, but we then want our relationships to be shaped by the glories of Christ. We want to be a church known for preaching the gospel of the grace of God, but we also want to be a church known for embodying that grace in the way that we care for each other. This appeal I'm making to you today to embrace both gospel doctrine and gospel culture, this is not my idea. This is simply what we find all throughout the New Testament, but specifically this morning, as you've already heard, we see it in Paul's letter to the believers in Rome. For 11 chapters, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has penned the greatest explanation of gospel doctrine ever written. But as he then moves to close his letter, what do we find? Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. on the foundation of the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul makes this appeal. So friends, this is no small matter. These are not insignificant snippets of moral advice tacked on to the end of a letter for our mere consideration. No, these are imperatives, commands, 
for us, breathed out by God. Love is to mark the church of Jesus Christ. And when it does, the church becomes a compelling community. It's compelling because it's unlike anything else on earth. You can't find this kind of love anywhere outside the body of Christ because it's the fruit of a divine miracle. Only those who have been born again, united to Christ and each other, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, only true believers can love like our text describes it. Let me give you now five characteristics of genuine love. I'm calling it genuine love because that's what Paul calls it in verse 9. What Paul describes in these five verses is genuine or authentic love. I remember the first time my family visited Washington, D.C., I was in the eighth grade, and this visit was part of our family vacation. Me and my three brothers all loved the trip, the history on every corner, the breathtaking monuments, the buildings we toured. It was a very memorable trip. At the time, we lived in rural Indiana where my dad taught in a Christian school. So one thing that we had never really seen was street vendors, and with this, I never knew that you could buy completely authentic name brand clothing for significantly less than I had ever imagined. <laughs> My brother Chris bought a Gucci sweatshirt for like $10. The deals were unbelievable. It was around this time that my dad explained to all of us the term counterfeit. We were informed that the vendors were selling fakes. They weren't genuine. My brother Chris, believe it or not, was not holding in his hand an authentic Gucci sweatshirt. Friends, the world is full of counterfeit descriptions and definitions of love. But if love is so central to the Christian life, both individually and corporately, then we need to know the difference between what is real and what is fake. We need to make sure that what we call love and what we're pursuing as love is the genuine article that our love is without hypocrisy, that we're all doing more than play acting. We're practicing genuine love. Again, in our text, Paul doesn't just command us to love authentically, but he underscores the contrast between what is real and what is fake by the word he uses for love. Most of you know that there are different words used throughout the scriptures, all translated as love. In this case, Paul uses the Greek word agape. Now, I want you to understand why this is significant. 
This particular word for love was rarely used in non-biblical Greek literature, but the Apostle Paul, well, he uses it 75 times in his biblical writings. And here's what numerous New Testament commentators believe. They believe that early Christians adopted this word and used it to define the unique love they had come to experience as recipients of God's grace. But they also used it to describe the quality of love that they were to show to each other. In other words, Paul is making sure that as he implores his brothers and sisters in Christ to embrace and practice genuine love, they know exactly what he's talking about. It's this kind of love, not that. John Stott explains, so far in Romans, all references to agape have been to the love of God demonstrated on the cross, chapter five, verse eight, poured into our hearts, chapter five, verse five, and doggedly refusing to let us go, chapter eight, verses 35 and 39. Stop then says, but now Paul focuses on agape as the essence of every Christian's love for each other. And it's this love that is to govern and shape all of our relationships. Within the church, our love for one another should be a billboard for divine love. Because it is divine love that we have received in Christ and it is divine love that must now govern and shape our love for each other. What well, Paul tells us more about this love that is to mark each of our lives and our corporate life together. Again, there are five characteristics in verses nine through 13. Characteristic number one, genuine love is discerning. Genuine love is discerning. Notice the second half of verse nine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Isn't it interesting that immediately after Paul introduces this idea of genuine love, the first characteristic he offers is this one. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now think about it, friends. I, I mentioned this earlier, perhaps no idea in our present world is more misused and redefined than love. Uh, this is abundantly clear to all of us, isn't it? Everywhere you turn, you are reminded that love has been co-opted by social movements and sloganeers to push political agendas and perverted trends. And everybody wants whatever they're in favor of to fall under the banner of love. Oh, this is satanic. It's the work of hell. And may this never be true in the church of 
Jesus Christ. We don't get to define love however we want. Genuine love, love as it's defined in the scriptures and as it's rooted in the nature and character of God himself, authentic love abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. Theologian Douglas Moo writes, love is not genuine. Listen to this. Love is not genuine when it leads a person to do something evil or to avoid doing what is right as defined by God in his word. In other words, love is not love. Love that is truly love will hate what God calls evil and it will run after and cling to whatever God calls good. In this way, it's discerning. It knows the difference between good and evil. Zeroing in, brothers and sisters, our love for each other must always be guided and informed by the truth of God's word. It is not ever loving to encourage someone to sin. And it's never loving to stay quiet when you see a fellow church member rejecting what is good and running after what is evil. That is not genuine love. Genuine love, this kind of love will embolden a more mature sister to come alongside a more immature sister who might be considering an abortion. It will be genuine love that motivates the one to plead with the other to turn from evil. This love, genuine love, will give courage to the more mature brother who needs to confront a more immature brother who is considering an adulterous affair in the midst of a difficult marriage. Genuine love abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. It's discerning. Characteristic number two, genuine love is unique. It's unique. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There is something very special about the genuine love that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. It's more than a mere friendship based on shared hobbies or a common lifestyle. A church is a spiritual family marked by deep affection. One Bible commentator puts it this way, as a spiritual family... The church is to exhibit the intimacy and tenderness that marks the very best earthly families. We see here again that love within the body of Christ, created and sustained by the Holy Spirit, shaped and formed by an ever-deepening understanding of the gospel, this love is so unique. And it's such a gift isn't it? I know many of you have been on the receiving end of this kind of genuine love. 
What a gift it is. Paul fills out this idea by instructing Christians to show honor to each other. This carries the same idea we find in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, where the text says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. The genuine love that exists within the body of Christ is unique in that every member is not competing for attention and is not trying to advance a personal agenda. But the church is full of men and women who can't wait to make much of someone else and to do what's best for them. The idea behind this phrase is that someone who is in front of another would move aside and say to them, you first. Isn't that a great picture? It's something that frankly never happened with me and my three brothers as we were growing up. In fact, the exact opposite happened. I hope and pray that the church is less like the young Redberg boys trampling each other to be first and more like the picture Paul paints here where everyone is quick to move aside and say, you first. Your interests, your loves, your desires, your plans, your needs, you first. Both Romans 12 and Philippians 2 make it clear that this kind of love is gospel love. And it's unique to communities created and shaped by the gospel. If not in the church, where else would you find this kind of love? It's unique. Characteristic number three, genuine love is active. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. How do you know that someone loves you? How do you know that someone loves you? Genuine love is more than a verbal declaration. Genuine love is demonstrated by acts of loving service. If I were to ask each of you, how do you know that you're loved by your fellow church members I hope and I know that some of you would be able to tell me about ways in which you've been sacrificially served. Your answer would not simply be because they tell me they love me. But you would be able to point to actions they have taken that prove their love. After they have mistreated each other, which rarely happens, I have sometimes asked my children if they love each other. When they say yes, I encourage them to not just say it, 
show it. Genuine love is demonstrated by acts of loving service. So God's word here is both warning and encouraging us, don't get lazy in your love. Don't get lazy in your love. Be fervent, passionate, relentless in your service to each other. Be active, be intentional. Look for ways to love each other. Because every act of loving sacrifice for another Christian is an act of service to the Lord. We'll often have conversations as elders with members of the church or people coming into the church saying, how can I serve? What ministry has needs? And we're very happy to have those conversations. But perhaps you're one who says, I don't know that there is a particular ministry that I fit into. You can do this ministry, the ministry of love, right? You can be fervent in spirit, serving others as you serve the Lord. Genuine love is active. Characteristic number four, genuine love is mature. It's mature. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. What happens when fear overtakes us and we lose hope? Specifically, when we forget about the hope of glory that is promised to every believer. Well, at least three things happen to most people. When they lose hope, they turn inward, focusing on self. They become impatient, taking matters into their own hands. And they stop praying because God seems distant and disinterested anyway. So what's the point? In other words, the one who loses hope begins to shrivel up spiritually and then is, of course, no help to anyone else. So here's Paul pleading with us, rejoice in hope. This is step one in loving others well. You, Rejoice in hope. Don't forget that you belong to Jesus. He will hold you fast. From earlier in Romans, God foreknew and predestined you to believe the gospel and be justified. And if you have been justified, you will be glorified. Oh, Christian friend, rejoice in this hope and let it fuel patience in difficulty, and through it all, keep praying. Do you see that Paul is not just encouraging this for your own joy, but if you do these things, other believers will be encouraged and strengthened by your example. 
right? It is not wrong for us to go to another brother or sister in Christ and to thank them for their faithfulness. Because in their faithfulness, which we know is a result of God's grace and the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, but in their faithfulness, they have set an example for us. They have loved us well by walking faithfully. So brother or sister, your faithfulness is a way of loving other Christians who can follow your example. Genuine love is mature. Characteristic number five, genuine love is generous. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There are two connected but distinct ideas in this verse. The first is fairly obvious. Christians, and especially those covenanted together as part of the same local church, we should be committed to caring for each other's needs. And so many of you are. This is a way of demonstrating genuine love. Now, if this is going to happen within a local church, people have to value membership. But once someone becomes a member, they need to prioritize getting to know the other members. Right, this Love that we see played out in verse 13. This will only happen as members move toward each other, wanting to get to know one another, and as each one who is receiving that is willing to be known. This is one of the reasons we have community groups. You've heard this, they exist for connection and care. We want to know each other so we can love each other. We want to know each other so we can love each other. And we want to do this in meaningful and generous ways. In fact, you could say there is a sense in which every ministry of this church has this same intent. that we would gather in all these different groups and all these different ministries and as part of the activity, we would get to know one another so that we might love one another. Now, be careful. Christian love doesn't only extend to other Christians that we know well. Notice the second phrase of verse 13, seek to show hospitality. Now remember that this was written at a time when Christians were being dispersed and the gospel was spreading and traveling believers needed safe places to stay where they could be refreshed and cared for. New Testament scholar Michael Bird writes, by stressing the pursuit of hospitality, 
Paul does not mean having your middle-class friends over for a barbecue, but taking in those travelers who have no place to stay, especially itinerant Christian missionaries. In other words, and in application to us, brothers and sisters, look for ways to be generous to Christians inside your church and outside your church. People you worship with every week and people you hardly know. Open up your life and maybe even open up your home to those you can bless. Understand that everything you've been given by God is to be used for his glory. And friends, it glorifies God when your genuine love leads you to be generous with those in need. You don't ever have to wonder about that. Genuine love is discerning. It's unique. It's active. It's mature. And it's generous. Redeemer family, I don't want you to hear what I have said this morning as a challenge to simply try harder and do more so that you might be able to check off on your spiritual checklist each of the five characteristics we've discovered in the text. No, I, I want you to first understand that what, I, what I've shared with you this morning is the fruit of the Spirit's ongoing and certain work in your life. So humbly pray that the Spirit would give you greater love When you read the glorious promise of Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When you read that promise, surely the development of genuine love in your heart and life is included in the good work God has determined to do in you. Second, even as you identify shortcomings in your life and are convicted by God's spirit, even as I was over this past week, even as that is happening, I don't want this text to serve as a club that beats you down for all the ways you've failed. Rather, I want this text to serve as a traffic sign that points you down the right path. As you take heed to this traffic sign and turn to pursue genuine love, if you look closely in the distance, you'll see a cross. The cross is where you will behold genuine love in all of its splendor and all of its beauty. And you will be reminded in the shadow of the cross of all you have received in Christ. Brothers and sisters, day after day after day, go to the cross and stay there. In 2003, a hymn writer named Vicki Cook 
wrote an additional verse to the well-known hymn before the throne of God above. Here's what she wrote. And this is what we each need to do as we daily consider the person and work of Christ and our desire to overflow with the love we have received. This additional verse says, I bow before the cross of Christ and marvel at this love divine. God's perfect son was sacrificed to make me righteous in God's eyes. This river's depths I cannot know, but I can glory in its flood. The Lord Most High has bowed down low and poured on me his glorious love. When each member of this church embraces and practices a cross-shaped love, then we may hear an increasing number of people declare about us for the glory of God, see, they will say how they love one another. Let's pray.